Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello, this is Fintech Impact, and I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today, I have an interview with Cato Pastol, CEO of Lending Loop. Lending Loop is a peer-to-peer crowdsourced small business lending platform that actually uses AI on the back end for underwriting of the loans. I found this to be an incredibly fascinating conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. And with that, here's my interview with Cato. Cato, thank you for coming in. No problem. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So can you just tell us and the listeners about what your company is and what it does? Sure. So Lending Loop is an online lending marketplace. What we do is we connect uh, Canadian investors who are looking for more attractive returns on their savings with small businesses that are looking for a more affordable source of financing to help grow their businesses. Excellent. So basically, it's a peer-to-peer lending site is what you're saying. Exactly. So we connect those people together. So we connect individuals or peers with small businesses that are looking for a source of financing. Good. So before we get into anything else, can you tell us, tell us your background? Like, how'd you come to this? Where did you, uh, where'd you get the idea for this and how did it come about? So growing up, both of my parents were small business owners. Both of them ran their own small businesses. And through that process, I kind of saw firsthand the challenges and difficulties, not just of building a small business, but also the difficulty of being able to get financing to help grow that business. So through that process, that kind of stuck with me. Later on in life, kind of keeping that in the back of my mind, I started to see kind of the challenges as an investor of earning an attractive return and a stable return, particularly through fixed income type of product. Attractive return and fixed income. Those are interesting terms. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Don't go together anymore. (laughs) I haven't been around for quite a while. So, you know, through that process, of kind of seeing my family's struggles and then also seeing kind of my own personal struggles, trying to get a reasonable return on the savings that I'd built up Mm -hmm. uh, from the time of being a child, I kind of realized that there was potentially a better way to solve both of those issues at the same time. So, you know, one, give me a better return on my investment by putting my money into, you know, a key part of the economy and and small business and help small businesses actually get a more attractive or more affordable uh, rate on their uh, capital. Fantastic. Now, where did the idea for this originally come from? Yeah, so th- these malls have been really popular in the UK since about 2005 and US since about 2008. So they've been really attractive in other markets, but unfortunately, there were no platforms like it in Canada. So kind of I saw that and having grown up in the UK and seeing some of the successes of platforms over there, I really wanted to bring that mall over here because I've seen kind of not just how successful it can be, but also how impactful it can be on the small business community and the economy as a whole. So kind of saw some of the successes, some of the failures that they'd had and learn to kind of build on that and create a platform of, of our own over here. It's always a little easier when someone else goes first, right? <laughs> yeah. In, in most of the time, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah, I think uh, unless you're uh, creating a rocket ship and trying to get to Mars. But other than that, there's not too many brand new ideas. Fair enough. <laughs> so when did you guys get started again? So we started at the end of uh, 2016. And that was kind of after we got our, our regulatory approval to actually operate this platform. Which was clearly Canada. all kinds of fun, right? Yeah. I think uh, we could probably have another podcast to, uh, to talk about that. Uh, um, it would be a very boring podcast, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we could. <laughs> well, you, you may get some lawyers uh, tuning in, but other than that, I'm not sure <laughs> Not sure how many people would be interested. Fair enough. But, but yeah. 
Yeah. Now, when we, when we started telling people that this is what you wanted to build, what was the original reaction you got out of curiosity? That's a good question. A lot of people like kind of looked at us sideways, like, "What? What are you? You know, are you crazy?" Because, <laughs> and, and the, the the reason that we got that look is, you know, a it's a really difficult business to start and build because marketplaces aren't easy to start and marketplaces aren't no. easy to scale. The other aspect was no one had been able to do it in Canada because of the regulatory hurdles, and people who had kind of lived in that were like these kids are crazy. Like, what do they think they're doing? You know, they uh, like aren't even, they don't have a sense of what the regulatory framework looks like or the legal framework. Yeah. And I think we were really mission driven in there in the regard of like, we really wanted to allow anyone to invest in this type of product. We didn't want to just have an accredited investor platform or something that was, you know, built around institutional investors or credit funds. Like we really wanted to make this accessible to anyone. Yeah. But to a lot of people who have been in the industry for a long time, like, that was a completely crazy concept. Yeah, it's funny because every now and then I get pitched some crazy idea. I'm like, you're out of your mind. You need to look at X, Y, Z. But you know what? It's very important to, to have people like you test that boundary because we just assume it's going to stay this way. It's going to stay, right? And, you know, we've all had, you've been around long enough with, with enough, uh, enough, <laughs> enough well, battle scars. You're going to start to say, well, the regulators never going to let you do anything, right? So that's, that's the way to look at it. But no, well done. Well done. So where are you sourcing all the business? I mean, you have a marketplace where you, go, you can go in and you can either sign up as a lender or as a borrower. So where is this all business all coming from? Yeah. So for uh, businesses, we have a kind of team internally that you know, we, we receive a lot of loan applications. And what we'll do is that we'll then go and curate those applications, uh, review them and make sure that they're credit worthy. So we actually only approve about 10% of the businesses that are applying for financing with us. So you're, that's great. You got an internal compliance. Because again, the big concern when you hear stuff like this is maybe it's just like a freewheeling market where we can post anything, you know, like the Kijiji of lending or something maybe, but most certainly not. So you're, you definitely put in place some compliance standards, right? So that you basically you're not just approving Joe Blow's um, popsicle stand or something like that. You basically have a viable business that exists. So yeah. how much how much business have you guys done to date out of curiosity? Yeah, so today we've lent over $16 million uh, to Canadian businesses and we're lending Fantastic. about $2 million every month right now. So starting to really see a lot of growth uh, since we launched about 15 months ago. 15 months and you're already at 16 million. That's, that's impressive. And, uh, what's, what's your growth rate look like right now? Month to month? About 20% a month. So, <laughs> About yeah. 20% a month. If only. If <laughs> only. That's so, so that's fantastic. Now, one thing that I thought was really interesting when I signed up for was the fact that I don't have to take the entire loan myself. I can literally pledge as little as I think $25 yeah. towards a larger loan. So it's crowdsourcing the loan. Yeah. One of the main reasons we did that is we were really driven in terms of making this accessible to any investor. So we wanted this to be available, not to just a high net worth or credit investors. We wanted any Canadian to be able to participate in this. And what $25 allows is you to build a very diversified portfolio, even with a very small investment. So say you're investing only $2,500, mm-hmm. you can actually build a portfolio of a hundred different small businesses from across Canada, different geographies, different industries, and build a portfolio that way. Traditional investments require a lot higher higher amount to build diversification. And that's kind of why we really focus on having a small amount per investment. And we kind of call that fractionalization. So we've built technology that allows us to very easily break up a $100,000 loan into lots of many different little pieces all with their own payment schedules. And that's how we can kind of do that type of stuff. Yeah, given technology, you can actually deploy $25 profitably as opposed exactly. to, yeah, that's, that's a great way to leverage it. And, you know, visiting the site and get to see the marketplace site, I, I checked it out and I saw a list of all the loans you had available and you guys categorize them, you know, you tell them who the borrower is, categorize them by, I think it was industry as well and explain what it was. And then also the, you know, the loan terms and one of the things I thought was interesting. So you, you actually have an auto loan application, right? Yeah. So if I don't want to sit there and literally do due diligence on all these myself, you'll deploy it for us. 
Exactly. So you can set your own criteria of uh, the different types of businesses that you want to lend to. So mm-hmm. kind of based on risk band. So say you want to go after only, you know, very credit worthy businesses that are paying a low interest rate. You can go after that stable returns, low return, but obviously maybe that helps you sleep at night. Or if you kind of like to take a bit more risk on, you can go after only high risk businesses. And what the auto loan platform will do is automatically allocate your money for you. So there's two features to it. Like one is the actual ability to invest that capital. The other that's also a very popular feature is the ability to kind of save money through your lending loop account. So what that will do is kind of create a recurring deposit from your bank bank account into Lending Loop and invest that money for you. So you can almost automatically build your fixed income portfolio on a weekly, a bi-weekly, or monthly basis. Interesting. So basically, what kind of what kind of rates are these people seeing when they're borrowing? It ranges. So the lowest rate is 5.9%. That's mm-hmm. kind of where we, we bottom out at. And we go all the way up to the mid-20s on the high end. So that that's obviously a scale that varies based on the risk of the, of the business. And you know, we, speak, we spoke about it briefly before, but the underwriting and credit adjudication that we do is, is probably one of the most sophisticated and most important parts of our business. Okay, that's interesting. Tell me about that part of it. Yeah, so what we do is we collect in hundreds of different data points from a variety of different data sources. So we're looking online data sources sources, more traditional sources like credit bureaus. We pull in cash flow information from things like their bank account, from things like their accounting packages. And there's also a lot of other kind of data sources that we tap into to verify things like whether there's any liens against the business, whether they they owe any taxes. And essentially what we do with all that data is we aggregate that in our system and we're able to estimate a probability of default for a business. Is that a model you built yourself? Yeah, we built that ourselves. And why that's unique is even traditional banks don't look at small business in the context of a business. They typically look at you as a individual or a corporation. I'm well aware. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well aware. Until you get to a certain threshold, you can deal with commercial banking. It's a completely yes. different ballgame. And I've run into that with lines of credit in the past. Not that it was, our, you know, my credit rating was fine. The issue was they just didn't want to look at it in detail because the business wasn't big enough. Yeah. So, I mean, at 5.9, I mean, at that point, you're you're actually at a lower rate than an unsecured line of credit. So, I'd say that's pretty pretty competitive there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, 5.9 is obviously reserved for kind of the highest quality businesses. Yeah. But we absolutely are competitive there. And you know, over time, I believe as we continue to prove out our underwriting methodology and get more traction that way, we'll even be able to drive the rate further down. So you know, we spoke about the UK briefly. Yep. There are platforms there that are able to lend at 2 or 3% because they've really been able to prove wow. out that credit and underwriting to the point that investors have enough confidence that you know, their, their investments with them are effectively. They're literally secure. dropping the rate to almost prime because essentially they've been able to prove that it's almost a risk-free investment. Exactly. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. Now, you mentioned something about uh, accounting data. So you're basically letting them tie in like QuickBooks or Wave or, uh, or Zero into it and drawing that. That's fantastic. Yeah. You're, you're nodding. For anyone not listening, <laughs> he was nodding. So that's a yes. As of right now, it's just QuickBooks. Actually, yeah. the majority of the, this isn't a plug for QuickBooks by any means, but majority of Canadian businesses use QuickBooks. Yeah. So that's kind of why we started there. But we are, we're working on kind of adding on new integrations. As, as a non-QuickBooks well. user and a QuickBooks hater. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you see what, what Zero or Wave can do, you're, you're thoroughly impressed. So, I mean, I'm sure Wave being a Toronto office has probably knocked on your door more than once. <laughs> So that being said, though, with all the data you guys are aggregating, I have to think that there's an AI play in in your future there. Yeah. I mean, even today, we run parallel machine learning models in our underwriting. Fantastic. Can you explain that entire concept for people? I know this is not to get too (laughs) deep, but go right ahead. Yeah. I mean... uh, 
To put it in a very simple context, we've collected a variety of different data sources, plus we have our own data sources where we've compiled and, and yeah. collected information that's very particular to these businesses. As those businesses repay and as we get payment history on those businesses and things like default history, you know whether those businesses miss a payment or are unable to continue their business, we're able to leverage all of that information in our models to get more or get better at predicting whether or not that business is going to default on an ob on their loan obligation. So essentially what that means is for any new business that comes in, the characteristics of that new business are compared to our entire database. And then what that model will do is with a relative degree of certainty, give us an estimation as to what that business looks like from a risk perspective. And all of that's entirely automated. So this isn't you know a human being. So how long down. does that take once you get all the data sources, roughly? Seconds. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So versus the loan officer having to review a file, like you guys literally plug in more data than they could ever possibly look at and spit out a number. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So there's there's disruption for the banks, which I'm all in favor of. <laughs> but uh, I gotta, you know, that technology on the back end alone is so. Is that you said it's relatively unique, right? I mean, it's is that that's something to be monetized in the future in itself, potentially, isn't it? Potentially. I mean, I think right now the focus is on leveraging that for our marketplace and for our investor base. I don't think it's currently on our roadmap to turn it into a software platform. But absolutely, the more data we collect and aggregate into that model, the more powerful it becomes and the more valuable it becomes. That's fantastic. Now, I have to ask you, how do you currently monetize? I'm taking you take a spread just like any other banker would. So we, we have two ways that we make money. So the first is we charge an origination fee. So mm -hmm. that fee ranges from about two and a half to six and a half percent of the loan. And that's a one time upfront fee. And how is that compared to going to your local bank? It's pretty much on a par. I mean, the, what the banks will often do is they'll disguise it into like eight different fees. So you'll have like your application fee, your setup fee, your adjudication mm -hmm. fee, your renewal fee. Here's a death fee. by a thousand cuts. <laughs> yeah. We're very transparent. It's just one fee and you see one fee and it says, you know, like four percent. Yeah. A bank will typically have a few hundred dollars here and a few hundred dollars there. But when you do the math and add it up, it's usually pretty comparable with what a bank will charge. And then we also charge a spread and that's charged kind of to the lender. And that's a one and a half percent annual fee. And that's taken between the borrower and the invested interest rates. Because obviously we don't make the money on the returns. It's the lender or you know the person investing the money in the business. But on every repayment, we're taking a one and a half percent cut. So in other words, if a business is paying 11 and a half percent as their interest rate, you receive 10% and we take a one and a half percent spread between Which those. seems completely reasonable. Now you actually, you know, on the website, when you list all these loans, they all had different letter grades. So can you speak to that? Like how you rate these things? Like what, uh, what are the key factors? Yeah. Uh, so that model I was kind of referencing before in terms of the underwriting model, essentially what it outputs is a probability of default. So in other words, what is the percentage likelihood that this business will not be able to pay their loan over the duration of the loan that we extend to them? So what essentially happens is if a business has a probability of default of let's just take 5%, there's a risk band from A plus to E that will correspond to a 5% default rate and also correspond to an effective interest rate that that business should be paying. So what happens is we do that estimation on probability of default, we slap that on the business, we then assign a risk rating based on that probability and that's how the interest rate gets determined as well. So when you see you know, an A plus business, that means that that probability of default is very low Versus an Ballpark. E, what's, the, what's an A plus? Like a half a percent okay, below. And an E rated business could be up to like a 10% probability of default. So even an E, someone you're rating an E is still someone that's basically got a still pretty practically low 
percent probability of default. So that's, you know, you're clearly doing your due diligence there. And thus far, the model's upheld, or have you found any kind of surprises thus far? Or are you? Uh... Yeah, we've actually kind of been outperforming our own expectations. So I think there's a number of reasons for that, but the default rates have been incredibly low since we started lending. So we actually first put our loan back in 2015. So it's been you know, about three years since our first loan went out. And we've got some kind of data back on you know, some of those initial loans in that cohort that we've done. And the default rate in that cohort was lower than we expected. So I think you know, overall, we're starting to get some proof points back. As we continue to build the business, we'll have more and more proof points. One of the things we really kind of pride ourselves on is being fully transparent about that. So we actually have a statistics page on our website. And we list out all the information about our loan book, all the information about any loan default, so that anyone who's interested in investing in this type of platform can understand all of our performance today. We don't hide anything. Well, it's interesting because one of the trends that you're really on is is the private lending trends. So banks have been tightening up their lending due to banking regulation, both local, both domestically and globally. And it's been harder and harder for small businesses in certain sectors of the economy to actually get any money. So you're right on trend there. But the one thing that always, and they get, of course, broken up into pieces and marketed to advisors and investors all the time. And I just never know what the risk rating on this and other stuff. Yeah. And I actually, ne- you know, the lack of transparency is one of the things that scares me to death, right? So, I mean, the fact that you're actually posting that up there, you know, <laughs> your successes and your failures is, is commendable. So, what, out of curiosity, what's the biggest loan you guys have ever ever put out? So, the largest amount we've extended to a single business is about 200000 Is that basically just because that's been the largest demanded or are you trying to cap it and figure out your risk at this point? More, more capping it. Like, we've definitely had, you know, businesses that are looking for half a million dollars, but, you know, based on the size of the overall portfolio and also the you know the early stage of our credit model we've been kind of selective in that regard we do expect that to continue to grow so i mean i think you know if we're having this conversation two years from now i would have expected that we're you know doing loans well if this podcast is still going in two years i will definitely follow up on that (laughs) (laughs) we'll see people start listening and referring people okay so that's fantastic so in terms of i mean it seems like a very simplified concept to me a very simple yet straightforward and to the point and well done conference the concept and the best concepts always are so in terms of development like where do you see this going like what do you see building out from here yeah i I think Right now, the focus is just on scaling this platform. I, mean, I mentioned we're at $16 million. You know, we want to get that to $100 million. We want to get that to a billion dollars before a meaningful player in the space. I think beyond that, uh, we believe that this segment has a lack of access to financial services in general. So I think beyond just mm-hmm. new term debt, which is kind of what we're focusing on now, with respect to things like secure debt, mortgages, uh, other just kind of general financial products that they may or may not have access to, we have a great way to kind of service that community. And we really built our platform not around having a transactional nature in the relationship. Like we really are priding ourselves on, for both sides, building something that is a long-term and strategic play. So we don't want to give a business money once to solve a quick cash flow need. Like we want to be a strategic funding partner so that every time that business needs capital to grow, they think of lending loop. And as we kind of build and expand our business, it may be more than just capital that that business might think of lending loop. Fair enough. So you're, you know, you're going to help them purchase equipment, secure against it, and basically look at uh, more flexible lines of, of, of income. So essentially, you really are looking to provide everything but you know, on, the, on the money side, but the deposit taking of the bank, which is commendable. That's great. So yeah. So out of curiosity, I'm wondering what the general reception of your business was amongst you know, industry players already. Um, yeah. You laugh. That's a great sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the market reception I'll speak to first was great. I think like initially we just had a huge amount of demand on both sides. Like we were, you know, having hundreds of businesses quickly coming out and looking 
that this is a platform that they might be able to leverage. And we had, you know, thousands of investors signing up, looking for some place that they can put their money that would earn some type of reasonable rate of return, knowing that this was working in other markets and kind of, you know, looking to do the same thing here in Canada. I think like the, the more, you know, your question around the, the reaction from the industry itself, I think particularly for some of the more traditional people in the industry, I think there's definitely a lot of skepticism simply because of the nature of the financial services environment in Canada, the fact that there isn't a lot of competition, the fact that it's a pretty stringent regulatory environment. I think there was a lot of skepticism as to whether or not we could make this successful. But hopefully, you know, we'll continue to show and prove that there is absolutely demand for this here in Canada and that this is an industry that's going to continue to grow and it's here to stay. I mean, 16 million in 15 months after launch, it's, it's impressive. It's, it's interesting though, because I, mean, I can totally understand the skepticism, especially a lot of startups, I'll see this happen where you know they'll digitize the front end, but the back end would still be a lot of moving a paper. You didn't. You guys basically digitized the entire process and brought intelligence to all of it. So that's that's fantastic. In terms of uh, where you're getting your larger investors from, I mean, we had a brief talk, conversation beforehand, but you've already talked to several family offices and whatnot. So what are you seeing from more affluent individuals as opposed to the people looking to do like 200? Like what's their response been? Yeah, I mean, we've been slowly moving up the value chain, I would say. You know, we've even just on the site had a few people that started out by investing a few hundred dollars and, you know, now they're investing a hundred thousand dollars because they've gotten familiar with the product. They've put a few hundred bucks in, seen that it's real, seen that it works, seen that they actually are getting repaid <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and that gives them comfort. And that's one of the great things that the low investment amounts has allowed us to do is build traction and proof points with these people that are using the platform because we're not saying, hey, you need to write a half a million dollar check to get involved. You can literally sign up right now and put two hundred dollars in if you don't believe me. That yeah, proof works. of concepts there. They can get that done. And what's the behavior you're seeing from them? Are they typically letting you guys do your auto lending or are they basically being, you know, they cherry picking? Depends. We have like kind of two segments, like it's probably about 50-50. One is someone who you just is looking in it for the return, uh, likes the idea of the model and will kind of trust the underwriting process and therefore just go and, and allocate that money according to you know, our, our auto lend buckets. The other is someone who's is very savvy in the, you know, and these are usually people that are in the financial industry. You know, we see a lot of commercial bankers. Well, at least we are, think we are, okay. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we see a lot of people like commercial bankers who like literally do this for a living and on nights and weekends, now they actually get to put their own money into it because obviously the bank, they're not putting they their own the money. They scale, yeah. yeah. No, well, that makes sense. So how much information on each loan are you giving these people? So on every loan, you can kind of see who the business is, what they do. So the business provides a write-up and a summary of you know, what they're looking to use the money for, what the business does, why they're safe to lend to, a bit about their financial performance. Uh, you can go and see what security is available on the loan. So we, you know, in most cases, have personal guarantees and a general security agreement on the business's assets. Uh, you can go and look at financial statements for that business as well. So you can go and look at income statement and balance sheet for the last few years. So you know, from a due diligence standpoint, you really do have an ability to kind of do your own due diligence and look and see if you actually like a particular business. Have any of the borrowers like gotten a little bit? antsy about the fact that they're going to have that much information publicly available? Yeah, you know, that that's something that's, um, it, it's really interesting because you know, I, I wasn't expecting it. I think that's kind of a, a uniquely Canadian thing because, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because and a lot of people have got that question a lot of times. So no. A lot of people don't know this, but like in the UK, you can actually look up any private company's financials. There's just a, da- a government database and you can access it. And that's an interesting and very topical point because the um, there's all kinds of push right now for greater disclosure 
of information on private companies as well. So we may be moving to a model like that in coming years. But I mean, right now, yeah, I mean, I have my companies. You can't, you know, short of hacking my computers or <laughs> me or me posting it on Lending Loop, but you're not going to see, you're not going to see any of that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was kind of just the, the hesitation is because like that's the status quo as yeah. opposed to people really thinking about like, why is it that that's the case? Like, what is the need to have that be a, a Pandora's box as to what a company's financials look like. You know, we're not disclosing proprietary or sensitive information about the business. So we remove any particular lines. You know, you're only seeing like what your cost of sold and what your operating expenses. You're not seeing how much am I spending on this material versus that material Fair enough. to build so, my product. Which is smart right. because then the intelligence, the competitive intelligence is being hidden. All yeah. you're seeing is essentially, you're seeing net margins, yeah, yeah, but you're not seeing like, oh, wow, this guy's getting a much better <laughs> rate on steel than I am as a competitor. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, uh, that's smart. So one of the other questions I have for you is when the money gets transferred there, like I'm taking, you're just using a standard commercial bank to hold that stuff until it gets deployed. Yeah. So, I mean, they have, so then they technically have CIDC, no, they don't have CIDC backing, right? Uh, they do. Yeah. Well, so, so, but the, that's only when the money is that's that when the money is lent out, it's now at risk. But when it's it. just sitting dormantly in the account, it is insured. Uh, Fair enough. And what kind of challenges have you encountered in this besides the regulatory ones and the need to build this thing? I mean, what what have been the kind of the, the things that you that taught you a lesson along the way? <laughs> I've, I've learned a lot of lessons. I mean, I think. One challenge that we have as a small company is just a general, you know, awareness of what we're doing. And, and I think there's also a big piece around financial literacy and education. You know, not Sorry. everyone understands the, the product. I mean, it may be sim- simple to some people, but I don't think it's simple to everyone. And I think trying to create uh, awareness around what we're doing, how it works, what the benefits are, what the risks are, is an important aspect of what we're trying to do today. So I think like that's been a, a challenge in terms of just getting that penetration and awareness out because... You know, we want to continue to see that 20% monthly growth rate every month for the next you know, 24 months. So, um, Only 24 months? Oh, come on, you're like yourself. <laughs> so, so, you know, to, to be able to do that, we're going to need to continue to make more and more Canadians aware that this is a viable option when it comes to investing. Absolutely. Any kind of like what's in the marketing plan, just continuing the word of mouth, continuing the, the grassroots movement, or are you guys like looking to hopefully start advertising on Super Bowl ads or something? Like <laughs> I, I don't know about Super Bowl ads, but um, yeah, I'm not sure we're, we're there from a, from a capitalization perspective. Fair enough. That was but... not a shot at Well Simple. I, know. I like those guys. I deal with them. Yeah, no, if, if I could, I would. But I, I think, yeah, we'll, we'll probably be a bit more grassroots for the time being. I mean, we are focusing on building some new marketing campaigns. I think that, you know, just the general concept of you know you don't have to put your money in a bank savings account. Like there are other ways, and this is for regular Canadians. Like there are other things that you can do with your money other than effectively lose it every day by giving uh, giving the bank a deposit. It's amusing the number of advisors I know who still maintain a GIC book is astonishing to me. And when I hear some of that, like. Or one of them, like, and he's got he's got a reasonable size account, but I'm you know I said, well, geez, how many what are you running in GICs? Because I haven't touched one of those in 20 years. And he said something to the effect of 200 million. I literally almost fell off my chair. Like I clutched <laughs> my heart and thought to myself, how many people out there are willing to actually lose money on an after tax basis every year when you factor in inflation? It just it just doesn't make any sense to me. But I think that is a financial literacy problem, right? Like we don't realize that you know what that high interest savings account is you know laughably not high, but also <laughs> negative when you really do the math on it. Yeah. It is. So in terms of team size, how big is the team these days? So we're, there's 20 of us on the team right now. Oh, so good. Yeah. Well, 18 months, 20 people. That's pretty good. So where are you getting the staff? Are you, getting, are you poaching talent from traditional banks? Or like, I mean, it's got to be an interesting combination of, of techies and, and people who understand the industry. And I'm guessing even the, some statistics guys at that, at that point as yeah. well. 
Yeah, I think you kind of you kind of said said it right. Nailed there. it. Like, All right, you, you nailed it. Is that a, yeah, we've got some people that were you know from the banking sector, um, particularly like in the areas you'd expect, like underwriting and compliance, and then you know more on the you know technology side with respect to things like engineering, development, sales. We don't want to recreate the banking model at Lending Loop. Like we're trying to reimagine Please the don't. model, right? Like that's, <laughs> so, so I think it's important. Anyone who's been in, in banking, I've got nothing negative to say. I think like the people on our team who are from banking are great, but we want to build a culture that's thinking around reinventing the wheel, not adding to it. Absolutely. And now, I mean, it's got to be a massive cultural change for these people leaving something like that <laughs> coming to a 20 person operation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So you trip, are you typically attracting the, I'm guessing you're typically attracting the younger, more like mid-career type people as opposed to senior people for sure, right? For, for the most part, I mean, that's not to say, that's not exclusive, but for sure, I, I'd say like our team is more skewed towards a, a younger demographic as you would expect. But I think we're, as we grow and get momentum, we're, we're definitely starting to get um, more and more interest from people who are senior in the industry and I think starting to recognize that there is something to what we're doing and something that may disrupt some of what the incumbents are doing over time. So I think, yeah, as we grow in scale, I think we'll probably start to see more mainstream adoption of the product. And with that, probably we'll see mainstream adoption of, of, our, of our team as well. Well, that's, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, at this point, you're an alternative to the conventional, right? Yes. You're an alternative. You're, you're, you're not there for the unbanked. You're there for the unlent because they couldn't get the loan, right? So you're better than Sammy the street shark. But nevertheless, <laughs> the reality is, is that if you get enough scale, that flips itself, right? Because the ease of doing business with you is so much greater than with them. And if you're doing comparable rates, then it becomes a no-brainer, right? It just becomes a case of, well, do I trust these people? And once that, once that question is gone, you've got the scale to do that. It reverses itself. Yeah, you're giving away a lot of secrets, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I think that's really where we're headed. As we continue to build proof points out on our underwriting, as we continue to scale this model, we want to grow with our customer base. Some of our businesses that are borrowing $50,000 today may need a million dollars tomorrow. And if we're there to give them that million dollars and do it at the same rate of a bank would, but not make them give their left arm and right leg to us in exchange for it, like they're going to borrow yeah. through us. So we want to be that to service these businesses through their life cycle. So here's a question. When does, uh, when does the bank come knocking on the door to buy you one of you guys? Buy you guys. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the reality of it, right? I mean, I think it's, it's a matter of time if you guys continue to grow scale that that will happen. It's a possibility. I think, unfortunately, I expected the whole financial technology industry to kind of get, gain pace at a faster momentum than it has over the last kind of three, four years. You know, I think too much of it has been complementary to what banks are offering, and a lot of that's due to kind of the regulatory environment mm-hmm. and things like that. I'd love to see that be real viable alternatives as a consumer myself. Like yeah. I try to try out products and services that aren't offered by banks. It's an interesting, I mean, you know, kind of hit on upon an interesting point there. I mean, the reality is, is that Canada has a love-hate relationship with the banks, right? Like yeah. everybody hates at least one of them. Everybody loves at least the other one, but they're all different. In my opinion, they're all different flavors of vanilla offering the same thing. And we take solace in having these a handful of big names that we can trust, right? Yet, meanwhile, like the old saying is, you know, everybody hates the bank, but they don't have to give them money, right? So, yeah, I think that there's a couple of things. One is that security that we have, and I think the regulatory thing is another issue. But I also think in general, you know, we also have scale issues with the Canadian marketplace, yeah. right? You know, we have 36 million people. How many small businesses? How many of them are going to fall into this demographic? The number is not huge, right? So, I mean, in my personal belief is in Canada can only support a handful of players in any space. So you're going to be one of them, hopefully. <laughs> so far, so good. Now, we've talked about demographics of your group, but how about the demographics of the borrowers and the lenders? I'm curious about that. Yeah, um, it's an interesting fact on the, on the borrower side is that we've managed to have a very diversified portfolio 
portfolio of businesses that have come past. So well, no bit, no industry makes up more than 9% uh, of the current portfolio. The biggest are kind of um, manufacturing, restaurants, retail, businesses, uh, professional services, but they're all kind of in that like high single digit space. Uh, and geographically, it's, it's kind of no more concentrated than population is from, you know, Ontario out to BC. And we've literally done businesses, done loans from coast to coast. So, you know, that has been great from our perspective because it's organically happened that way. That's just how the market's driven it. And that's great because now investors have a hyper-diversified portfolio of different loans where an economic downturn in Alberta is not going to impact their entire portfolio. It will just impact the Alberta portion. But that's astonishing. You developed it. Yeah, you got, you've nailed it. I mean, the diversification just by natural organic growth is incredible, right? Like, yeah, you're getting a cross-section of the Canadian economy and a cross-section of the entire province. That's, oh, sorry, the entire country. That's fantastic. But in terms of demographic of age, I'm curious, I'm curious like, yeah. what are you seeing in terms of the, the age of the borrowers? Are they oh. typically skewing towards younger borrowers or are you starting to get some, uh, you know, some people towards their 60s starting to accept that you guys have gotten to something? Yeah, we, you know, interestingly, I thought it would be younger borrowers, but, um, the majority of our borrower base is actually in an older demographic. So we're seeing very traditional business owners that have had you know businesses for 20 years using our platform just because it's a you know they, they're starting to recognize that there's there are other options out there. I think it's harder to get to them. That's the challenge. Yeah. Is, you know, the younger demographics find you on Google and Facebook and Twitter. The older demographics are harder to get to, but they're definitely interested once you get to them and once you explain how the product works. Um, there's definitely a certain fascination about how they can kind of connect with the community around them. Because for them, it kind of takes them back, you know, 50 years to an area of like community-based lending. I mean, really how people used to borrow 50, 60, 70 years ago was people would kind of create like these rotary clubs and these you know, yeah. local communities that would put that money together and lend out to the local businesses. What we're really doing is a 21st century version of that exact yeah, it's, it's interesting. So many, so many different interesting segments. I mean, you got the peer-to-peer, you got the, you got the crowdsourcing, you got the uh, pretty much the uh, the AI play almost on the side there. Now, but I'm curious, what's their uh, what's their reaction been to the ease of use of your process? Like, have you had people say like, "Oh my God, why is it <laughs> why is it always this easy?" Yeah, we actually had one borrower uh, who came in recently, and uh, some of his friends are lenders on the platform, and he was like. How do you know that I'm safe? Like, how do you know that like I'm a real borrower? Because like you know, some of that's opaque to even the borrower as to how much due diligence we're doing and how much data we're collecting on them. Simply because we're able to do that using technology and do it in the background. So they may think that like we're yeah. looking at one or two data points when in reality we're looking at a lot more than that. Yeah, the average person really has no idea how much data is floating on around about them, and yeah. especially when you start getting the businesses. They have a second layer of that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you can build really, really interesting data sets when you're compiling personal characteristics with small business characteristics because you've now got two uh, incredibly large data sets. Yeah, I tell you, if people actually knew, they would uh, they would never use Google for anything again. <laughs> That's a different story altogether. Yeah. In terms of the demographics of the of the borrowers, though, sorry, yeah. not the borrowers, so the lenders, the lenders, though. So how the lenders? What the demographics are you looking at there? So interestingly, I think actually this is probably a bit less surprising, but um, the overall demographic is skewed towards a younger audience. So kind of like late 20s to late 30s is kind of the main by volume. But what you also see is that per dollars lent, it's, a, it's an older demographic in terms of how much capital is actually coming. And that's no probably unsurprising yeah. just in terms of like stage of life and things like that. But what's encouraging to us is that we've got to, you know, the, the mass of our lenders are of a younger demographic. And as those people, you know, mature grow, and they have more money. Yeah. 
and you're making them more money. So therefore, you know, it all come back. No, fantastic. So clearly you didn't exist to borrow from yourself when you started out. So where did the, where did the seed capital for this come from out of curiosity? Yeah, we, early on we, we kind of bootstrapped and, and got a bit of money from family and friends. So like to get the product to market and, yeah. and get some initial traction, like my co-founder and I are both uh, kind of self-taught software developers. Um, I also worked <laughs> in software consulting. We went to business school together. So we yeah. were kind of like the fintech sides of the business because we've got both finance and technology so mm-hmm. we had a skill set that allowed us to kind of get something to market day one without having to put too much resources into the business and then after uh yeah after kind of building that out getting some initial proof points and traction having a bit of friends and family money to, to make our first few hires uh we then went and raised kind of our first round of seed funding if you want to call it that so that was kind of at the uh, beginning of 2016. Fair enough. And have you been leaning on support from any of the institutions in Canada, like Amars or anything like that, to, to help get you support? Yeah, actually, our, our lead investor in the last round was an organization called the IAF that's based out of Mars. So, yeah, I mean, Sorry. it was, it was a, a kind of connection through that. Like, we haven't been in an incubator, so to speak, but like, we've you know, definitely been leveraging resources from, uh, from kind of like the Communitex and the Mars of the world. I think like, there's, there's generally good people there that have given us solid advice and also helped us kind of save some money early on, too. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so basically, the, the plans are to basically take over the lending side of the business from banks, make it a lot easier and a lot faster. I mean, I commend you because uh, it's it's not the paperwork processing in a bank and the number of people that have to touch a loan. It's just it's insane, right? It really is. And the fact that you've been able to you can literally do it once you have the data set instantaneously is shocking to me. So, Kato, thank you very much for taking the time. I'm sure everybody's going to love this. Really appreciate it. And a member sheet, I might look at your at lending a little bit more on your site. So, <laughs> I had some questions answered. But, uh, no, very much appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. So that was my interview with Cato Pastol, CEO of Lending Loop. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. Thank you again for joining us on FinTech Impact. If you like this episode, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any suggestions for future shows or questions, feel free to email me at jason at fintechimpact.co. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.